Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you see this, and I said this last week, but you see a little change in the temple. We're not talking about the, 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 the works of the flesh as much as we did in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. We're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the heart of a man, into the heart of a woman. And that's how the Lord works. Old Testament and New Testament, you know, he deals with the surface stuff, so to speak, so, the, so to speak, the, the work according to the flesh. But then as we grow and as we mature in Christ, we have this deeper understanding and he shapes and molds our hearts, the insides, the innards of a man, the innards of a woman. What's inside the substance of a man, the heart, the mind, the soul, down to the marrow. In chapter 5, 6, and 7, there's some you know, a uh, very uh, deep subject matter. I, I don't, uh, not deep, like spiritual. I mean, there's spiritual application, spiritual connotations, but you know, it just, you know, like works of the flesh. A lot of like, you know, when like, uh, 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 I mean, just the fact that in chapter five, verse 11, and I say this a lot, chapter five, verse 11, the sexually immoral, the covetous, the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard, the extortioner, these are all works according, this is the carnal nature of a man, the carnal nature of a woman. Do you remember in chapter 3, verse 1? When he says, chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. Like, yeah, you guys go to church. You guys are the church in Corinth. But I cannot speak to you as to spiritual. I cannot speak to you you know, these things can't be received by you. Do you know why? He says he has to speak as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, as to little babies. That's how Paul has to speak to the church. That's how, that's how Paul has to speak to Christians, not as spiritual. A lot of times people think, you know, spirituality, it's kind of people lump that, that word is kind of all these kinds of different things are lumped into that word. You go to church. Oh, yeah, I'm spiritual. Well, I mean, not that church saves or anything, but, you know, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm spiritual. Well, well do you read your Bible? Oh, no, 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 I don't read the Bible. Well, OK, then how are you spiritual? Well, I do Reiki. I do my yoga. I, you know, I pray to Mary. I do my Buddhist stuff. Okay, that, that's, you know, I understand what you're saying is the, the, the spiritual side. But even Satan presents himself as an angel of light. There's spirituality, lowercase s. But then there's things of the spirit, which is capital S, the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, like the, the meat and potatoes of our faith, the meat and potatoes of our walk with the Lord. Paul says, I can't, I can't give that to you. I can't talk to you. I can't even talk to you as to, we, we can't even get down in, in like the, the, the meat and potatoes. Have you ever been with Christians like that? It breaks your heart and while you're with them, your heart is aching while you're with them. You're, you're not emotional you might be emotional later 
You might be emotional when you're on your face before the Lord by when you're by yourself. But when you're with them in your heart of hearts, you're just weeping. Because yes, you're with beautiful, beautiful Christians. But you can't talk to them as too spiritual. You can't discuss with them the meat and potatoes of our faith. You have to discuss, talk with them like instead of the meat and potatoes and the pork chops and all kinds of beautiful things, you have to talk about baby food. Like your little jar, you know the baby food that it looks like applesauce, but it sure ain't applesauce. You open the jar, you have to talk, that's what you do. That's carnal. That's their carnality, not your carnality. Their carnality, and it's sad because I mean, it, it, it's beautiful when somebody's a brand new believer. Somebody's been a Christian for a month. Somebody's been a Christian for two months, brand new, fresh in the Lord. Somebody's been a believer for a week, fresh, freshly born in Christ. And it's beautiful. It's like you talk about the babies, the baby stuff, you know, the baby food. And then they fall deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. And then it's like, wow, you know what? You know, I understand this surface stuff. I understand this baby food. Now let's get into the meat and potatoes. And that is beautiful. That is when a baby believer, when a young believer desires the deeper things of the Lord. Oh my goodness. That's like, that is beautiful. The sad part is when a baby believer stays a baby believer. Because there's no moving on to perfection. Paul just straight up says in chapter 3 verse 1, I can't, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people. That alone, that's like a sad I cannot speak to you as to spiritual people. He's, this is a letter to the church. But as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. And then he identifies in verse 3, more works of the flesh, envy, strife, and divisions. Carnality. In the church. And I love that Corinth, I mean, we talked about some ugly, ugly things that were happening in the church in Corinth. But you know what I love so much? These ugly things were confronted. Confronted. Not swept under the rug. They were swept under the rug. I mean, you know, this three-year time period from which Paul wrote the letter and the church was founded, this three-year time period, you know, it might have been swept under the rug. I don't know when it started. It might have started at five months in. It might have started a year in. It might have started at the very beginning. But for a year, two years... Two years and five months, two years and eight months, or maybe the full-blown three years. I doubt it was the full three years because of the freshness of Paul's encounter with them. It, it, it probably wouldn't have happened. I mean, Paul wouldn't have let that. Paul would have said something for sure. But maybe it happened after, you know, a month after he left. Two months after he left. So maybe like you know, two years and eight months in, or, or two months and eight years prior to when this letter was written, First Corinthians, or when the pastors, when the elders started to say, "Oh yeah, that's okay," 
yeah, we're, we're Corinthians. We live in Corinth in the city. You know, it's this, this commercial hub. But I know there's these sex gods over here and these sex goddesses over here and these temples of this, these temples of that. I know. And I know that you used to be there. And if you want to partake in those things, I, I get it. But you know what? God is love. God is love. Let's just love one another. Let's just love one another. Meanwhile, as this so-called pastor, as this so-called elder is saying these things, sin is brewing. Leaven is growing. And then other people see this happen. They say, oh, okay, this pastor allows this. This elder allows this. I guess it's okay. So I'm going to do it too. Then all the divisions happen, the strife, the contentions, the works of the flesh. And not only that, when Paul says in chapter 5, verse 11, I'll say it again. The sexually, this is inside the church. The sexually immoral, the covetous, the idolater, the reviler, the drunkards, or the extortioners. More works of the flesh. You see, works of the flesh beget works of the flesh begets works of the flesh begets works of the flesh. And it's confronted. It's confronted by those in the household of Chloe. And it's confronted in order because they notify Paul. It's no gossip. People say, oh, they're gossiping. Look at Chloe's household. What kind of Bible fellowship do they have? All they do is gossip. All they do is gossip. They're concerned about, you know, this guy's having sex with his dad's wife. This guy over here is covetous. This lady's an idolater. This other lady's a reviler. This old guy's a drunkard. You know, why are they, this other lady, she's an extortioner. Why do they have to concern the, concern themselves? You see, all they do, they go in their fellowship. They go into Chloe's house. And all they do is start to murmur and complain. They use these, you know, these... A biblical uh, attributes uh, to something that doesn't even apply to those in the household of Chloe. Look, they're murmuring and complaining. When somebody has an indictment against you, you have to look at their fruit. Look at the source. See who it's coming from. Look who it's coming from. Oh, look, those in Chloe's households, they're murmuring and complaining. They're gossiping. I mean, those in the household of Chloe could say like, okay, we're, you know, are we murmuring and complaining? <gasps> I don't want to murmur and complain. You know, am I gossiping? Are we gossiping? <gasps> I don't want to gossip because this guy says we're gossiping. This guy says I'm a gossip. This lady says that I'm murmuring. This other lady says I'm complaining. And I don't want that. To, I don't want that to happen. So <gasps> I'm just going to not say anything. No, you have to look at the fruit. You have to look at the fruit because... Was it the guy that was having sex with his dad's wife? Who says, oh, those in the household of Chloe, they're just a bunch of murmurs and complainers and gossipers. Maybe it was him. As an excuse for his own sin, as license for his own sin. So you have to look at the fruit. Always look at the fruit, just as the Lord tells us. Look at the fruit. Because when the carnal people say these against you, Dismiss it in one ear, out the other. But when the spiritual people say things to exhort you, to comfort you, to uh, 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 even warn you, it's not in one ear, out the other. That's what the carnal do, in one ear, out the other. That's what the carnal do. But the spiritual ear, the spiritual, in one ear, and boom, right to the heart. 
you accept it. Those in the household of Chloe, beautiful, because they notify Paul as a covering. And in the covering, I don't want to say drops the hammer or, you know, lays it down, but he cleans house. Paul cleans house. Praise be to the Lord. Paul cleans house. And I want to say Paul per se, those in the household of Chloe, clean house. But in order, they notify Paul, the covering, and Paul comes down and write, or doesn't come down, but you know, vicariously through a letter, but he writes this letter and says, hey, this has to stop. I love you guys. You guys are Christians. I couldn't, earlier, I couldn't speak to you as adults. I couldn't speak to you as the spiritual. I, you know, I gave you milk and you're still on milk. In chapter 5, hey, your rejoicing isn't good, you guys. Take that brother and, you know, he's out of the church because he's leaven. Take that person and kick him out. That's not kick I, I say kick him out, but, you know, it's deliver such a one to Satan. You say, oh, kick him out. That sounds so harsh. Then you read the verse, deliver such a one to Satan. Whoa, I'd prefer to be kicked out than delivered to Satan. But it's for the destruction of the flesh. That his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Maybe at that very last, mo- that very last moment, he would repent. Maybe. And if you listen to our study from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you're listening for the first time, remember I gave the testimony that I heard about either the homosexual who became a Christian or who was a Christian, left Christ and then came back to Christ? was through the destruction of his flesh. And praise be to the Lord because Paul cleans house. And he's full of the Spirit. Inspired of the Spirit, he writes this down. And he cleans house. And that's what the Lord does. Old Testament and New Testament, he cleans house. Inside a heart, he cleans house if you let him. Inside a fellowship, He cleans house if you let him. Inside a home, he cleans house if you let him. He's a gentleman. But refusal to allow Christ in, it might be fine. I mean, it's not fine, but it might be permissible for a day. It might be permissible for a week. But ultimately, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. It's not this grace is nothing to be toyed around with or played around with or ignored or shunned or denied. God's grace, His mercy, and His love. Now, if you're a non believer and you're listening, God loves you. Straight up, point blank. The creator of all things is in love with you. And he wants me to tell you that. And he wants relationship with you. He wants intimacy with you. Now the ball's in your court. You have a choice to make. Now, if your choice is to receive Jesus Christ, hit pause, listen to the message, how to become a or how to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then when you're done, come back and listen. And let us grow together in Christ. Let us understand these things. Because, you know, you see the shift from chapter 8 in 1 Corinthians. You see the shift in chapter 8, chapter 9, and further on. 
where we're not talking about the works of the flesh as much. Where, you know, Paul still indicates works of the flesh, but it's not as much as chapter 5, 6, and 7. Not as much. And praise be to the Lord. You know why? Because the house is getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. The temples are getting cleaner and cleaner and cleaner. Chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not an am I not an apostle? That's what he says. Question mark. Am I not an apostle? An ambassador, a messenger? That's what, what apostle translates to. And Paul is saying, is that not me? Am I not an ambassador? Am I not a messenger? Now, ambassadors don't do their own bidding. Ambassadors do not do their own bidding. They work on behalf of another. The, you know, governments, national leaders, the United States. We have ambassadors all over the world. Ambassadors all over the world, in different countries, all over the world. But these ambassadors, they don't do their own bidding. They work on behalf of the administration. Whatever administration is, Bush administration, Obama administration, Trump administration, Biden administration, they work on behalf of the administration. And when they don't, they're fired. That's what happened. That's 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 how it works. This apostle. His bidding is on behalf of another. His doings are on behalf of another. Do you know who that is? It's Jesus Christ. Now, I'm talking about the biblical apostle. Now, you, you might be a non-believer or maybe a baby believer. And, you know, you, you see these apostles on TV. You see them, you know, the money preachers on TV. And then it says on the bottom their name, apostle, whatever, bishop, whatever. You know, and they have all these titles, you know, prophet this person. That's TV. I mean, I know it's TV, but I mean, I know it's real life too. I mean, because it's like, you know, broadcast from a fellowship. But there are biblical qualifiers for, you know, who is a, you know, a pastor. Biblical qualifiers for an elder, a, a bishop, a deacon. There are biblical qualifiers. And a, a large majority of what you see on TV is not it. A large majority of what you see on the television, the prophets, the prophetesses, the, the apostles, a large, and when I say a large majority, I mean like 98%. Just a very, very large majority, if not 99%. But when it comes to the Bible and what you see on TV, they don't cut butter. They can't cut butter. Their, their brand of what they call a sword can't even cut butter. It doesn't align with the Word of God. Paul when he says, am I not an apostle? This is a biblical apostle. And the proof is in the pudding. We've read the book of Acts. If, you have, if you're listening for the first time or you're a new listener, listen to our study through the book of Acts. You say, well, I, I, the sermons are too long. I've had people say, you know, can, you, can you teach for just 20 minutes? Can you teach for just maybe 20 minutes? And if you have to go long, 30 minutes? I know the messages are kind of long. I know that. They could be longer. This is like, you know. <laughs> but you know, you go on a road trip, listen. 
You going to walk? Listen. We study the Word of God. The Holy Bible. And His Word does not return to Him void. He shapes us through His Word. He molds us through His Word. Anytime you have downtime, Bible. You see? Downtime, prayer. Downtime, Bible. Downtime, prayer. Downtime, Bible. Downtime, prayer. Intimacy, oneness with Jesus Christ. You know, downtime, listen to a sermon. You know? When I say proof is in the pudding, do you remember our study in the book of Acts? Look at Paul when they left him for dead. He's a messenger of the Lord. An ambassador of the Lord. He's not doing his own bit. He's not, you know... He's working on behalf of the Lord. In obedience to Him as a servant of the Lord. As a bondservant of the Lord. Am I not an apostle, he says in verse 1? Am I not free? Remember, in chapter 7, verse 22, he says... Uh, 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 for he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he, he who is called while free, while free, is Christ's slave. Have I not seen in chapter 9, verse 1, have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Now you see he's exposing his own intimacy. Having seen Jesus Christ, he's exposing his own intimacy with the Lord. Are you not my work in the Lord? I love this because it's complete and total acknowledgement of Jesus Christ. Complete and total acknowledgement of the sheep and the lamb. Especially in, you know, earlier chapters. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And here we are in chapter 9. But it's also an acknowledgement of his calling. Are you not my work in the Lord? And not with no boasting at all. It's not to say like, oh, look, I'm an apostle. You know, look how awesome I am. No. When does he throw that word out? You know, you don't see him throw this word out, an apostle. Every now and then, you know, he, you know, this self-reference as an apostle, a bondservant. But it's rightfully so. Rightfully so. Because look at these other so-called teachers that, that were in Corinth. I, I, you know, they, they, granted, they're teachers, but they're preschool teachers, kindergarten teachers. Remember chapter 4, verse 15, For though you might have 10,000 instructors, 10,000 tutors and teachers of boys, little boys, little children, preschool teachers, kindergarten, you might have 10,000. 10,000, there are, you know, many, many, many preschool teachers, many, many, many kindergarten teachers. But do you want to be in kindergarten forever? Do you want to be in preschool forever? Because if that's the case, then growth and maturity becomes impossible as a result of your own choices. No, you have to grow. You don't have to. It's a choice. I urge you to. I want you to. I desire it for us. Us. 
we're in the same boat. I desire maturity for all of us. Preschool teachers are nice. Preschool teachers are beautiful. Kindergarten teachers are beautiful. For preschoolers and kindergartners. But let's move on. Let's move on to perfection. In chapter 9, verse 2, he says, If I am if I am not an apostle to others, if, if I am not an impossible to others, you know, yet doubtless I am to you. It, it, it's like the acknowledgement of also, the, you, know, you know, that's on them. If there are other people who want to say, oh, Paul's not an apostle. If there are other, say, say for, you know, when in chapter 5, verse 11, verse 11, when Paul says not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, idolater, reviler, drunkard, extortioner. The, the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife, you know, he's leaven. Get him out of the church. Commit him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And remember my example in previous weeks where, you know, say we, we go in my time machine, we go back in time, and we're there. We're sitting in the pews of the church in Corinth, and you start to see, as this letter of Paul starts being read, people start leaving. They get up from the pews. They start leaving. Or pews or whatever seating, maybe sitting on the floor. They start to get up, and they just walk out. Oh, man, I'm a drunkard. I'm out of here. Oh, man, I'm sexually immoral. I'm out of here. Oh, Paul is so judgmental. Don't judge lest you be judged. I'm out of here. But then you might have other people who were sexually immoral. Former homosexuals who says, you know what? Paul's right. Paul's right. I repent. I'm done with that lifestyle. I am done. And you know what? I want to move on to perfection. And that's the remnant that stays. Now, Say, for example, in that, that, that same scenario where, you know, we're in the time machine, we go back in time, all that happens, the church, instead of a thousand people, it's now 500 people. And instead of 500 people, that's chapter five, six, seven. Instead of 500 people, now it's 300 people or 200 people. Because we're not keeping company with anyone named a brother who is, does those works of the flesh. Now, granted, you know, it's not like immediate. It's not like, okay, this person uh, 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 took $2 from the till. Okay, I'm not hanging out with them. This is like, you know, uh, uh, habitual. Three years in and the works of the flesh haven't, you know, it's like there's no difference from who they, like before they were a Christian and they're a Christian now. And there's like no difference of the, 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 the obedience unto the Lord. There's no difference in there, no, no, no change in their life. Paul says, okay, anyone named a brother, you know, don't, don't. yeah, you know, they're a brother, they're anyone named a brother. So yeah, they're a brother. They're a sister. But we're not eating. We're not having a meal together. You see, because that's what leaven does. Leaven rots the bunch. Yeah, you're a brother, you're a sister, but you're also sexually immoral. Yeah, you're a brother, you're a sister, but you're also covetous. You're also an idolater, and a reviler, a drunkard, an extortioner. And I know you say, oh, I'm a believer, I'm a believer. I get it, I understand you're a believer. But I have my own soul to protect. You see, and if you're a parent, 
I have my own soul to protect and, you know, I have the souls of, you know, kids to protect. So, yeah, you're a believer. I acknowledge you. You're a believer. You're a brother. You're a sister. But, you know, sorry. I'm not even to eat with such a person. Yeah, you're a believer. You're a brother. You're a sister. You say you believe. I don't see the fruit, but you say you believe. I'm not. That's between you and the Lord. But the Bible tells me in chapter 5, verse 13, put away from yourselves the evil person. I have my heart to protect. I mean, if you're a, a husband, you have your heart to protect. Spouse. Kids. You see? Put away from yourselves the evil person. And so in the example, say you're like, okay, church is done. We're, we're, we're back in time in Corinth. Church is done. We're walking home. We grab a bite to eat. And then you see one of those guys in the corner. Or you sit next to a lady who was like, you know, we're not hanging out with this lady because, you know, she's, a, she's, she's an extortioner. And we're not hanging out. And so she says, oh, you know, how come you guys don't hang out with me? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm your sister in Christ. I want to hang out with you. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, don't forget, even the demons believe. You see? Even the demons believe. So somebody says, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. Well, that's fine. I mean, you know, praise be to the Lord. But, you know, don't forget that even the demons believe. But you look at the fruit of demons and you don't see fruit of the Spirit. You see the fruit of Satan. You do the exact same thing with Christians. Oh, I believe, I believe. Okay, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. And what do you see? Do you see the fruit of the Spirit? Or do you see the fruit of Satan? Then you'll know. Piece of cake to speak Christianese. That's super, super, super easy. It's also condemning because, you know, if you speak Christianese without the Spirit, if you speak Christianese without being a Christian, whew, that's like wolf territory from my perspective. And also from my perspective, wolves get killed. I have to kill wolves. Metaphysically speaking, I mean, if that's you, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to have a conversation with you. You see? That's, that's how it works. I'm sorry, I didn't make the rules. That's, that's, that's how it works. Those are the rules. And so we're here, we're in Corinth, in the town of Corinth. And we're having a meal. And it's kosher. It's not, we're not eating, you know, uh, 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 kebabs, Diana's kebabs, like we studied last week. You know, Diana's kebabs, we're not eating that. Everything we're eating is nice and kosher. Nice, you know, nice little food in, in our tummies. Little fellowship after church. So we see somebody there. They say, why did Paul say that? He's so judgmental. I can't believe Paul said that. You know, he's so crazy, you see. He says he's an apostle. He's not an apostle. 
If he were an apostle, he would tell me about love. He would say that there's unity. He wouldn't try to break up the church. Paul's not an apostle because God doesn't want division. Paul's not an apostle because God wants unity. He likes unity. He likes us all to be together. You know, everybody just love one another. Paul's not an apostle. That's what they would say. You know, this desire for unity, it's... The Bible says that the church is supposed to have unity. But also understand that it's the Lord who brings division. Because it's unity in Christ. Unity in the truth of God's word. Unity in what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches. I love unity with other Christians. I love unity with other pastors. I love unity of the Spirit. I love it. But if I'm in union with a pastor and all of a sudden a pastor wants to do grave soaking, mm-mm, that's breaking of the union. And it's not my doing. It's what the Lord tells me. It's their own doing. They want to go grave soaking? Okay. I'm going to warn you. I'm going to say don't do it. But if you want to go grave soaking... That's on you. And that's between you and the Lord. You work out your own salvation. People say, oh yeah, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. But don't forget, with fear and trembling. So there we are in some kebab shop. We're having our nice meal. You know, nice little plate of rice. Nice little steaks or chicken or whatever. Some fish. Nice, beautiful meal. We just ate a meal in church, spiritually speaking. We just ate of the, you know, the word of God. And now we're taking, we took care of our spiritual belly. Now we're taking care of our, you know, fleshly belly. And then somebody says, you know, one of the extortioners. You know, the leaven. One of the revilers, one of the drunkards, one of the sexually immoral. Oh, Paul's so stupid. You see them sitting at a table, a couple tables down. All of them together. Not all of them, but a group of them. And then they come over to us. Paul's not an apostle. God wouldn't do that. God is love. Paul is crazy. Paul has lost his mind. You see, then you look at verse 2. Chapter 9, verse 2. If I am not an apostle, an apostle to others, you know, that's on them. That's on, let them say that. They're going to say that. And they have said it. That's on them. Yet doubtless I am to you. You see? Paul's crazy. Paul's nuts. Okay. That's fine. They can say that. But to the Berean, to the Berean who knows the Bible and studies the Bible and follows the Bible and loves the Lord and fears the Lord, to the Berean, they know Paul's a messenger. Paul says he's an apostle because he is an apostle. He doesn't even have to say he's an apostle. I'm a Berean. I read my Bible and I know he's an apostle. I know you can say he's crazy, but I know that he's watching out for my soul. You can say he's not an apostle, but I know that he's watching out for my soul. 
for my soul, not not my well-being. Well-being, you know, the carnal want to be looked at their well-being. I'm talking about looking out for the soul. Because if you're a Christian, the closer you get to Christ, the more intimacy you have with Him, there's not well-being in this world. The world will hate you. But in your soul, in your heart, it will be well for your soul. It will be well for your soul. See, the Bereans know these things. That's what Bereans, that's, it's beautiful. Remember, knowledge is a gift. Knowledge is a great tool. But it's not the greatest gift. It's a beautiful, beautiful tool. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift and necessary. Very, very necessary, especially in these days that we live in. But even still, it's not the greatest gift. Oh, but love is the greatest gift. So can't we just love one another? Well, I'm in the camp that says the greatest form of love is to give the truth of God's holy word. That's the greatest form of love. Is to give people Jesus Christ in his word. I'm of that camp. And not just that. You know, as the Bible says, to lay down your life for another. He who lays down his life for another. Just as our Lord did for you and me. He says, if I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am for you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. You are the mark as certified is what seal trends. It's like a mark. as. Have you ever bought like a, like a, I don't know, like a cheesy computer? You say you, you say you need a computer and you just buy a cheesy computer and, you know, there's no certification on it. There's no like seal on it, like, you know. Windows certified or whatever, you know, you just open it up and it's just like, okay, you can write documents and that's fine. You can, you know, you know, write a letter, write documents and it's fine. It fulfills its purpose because it's just for, you know, the documentation or, but it doesn't have that seal like, you know, Windows certified or whatever, or, you know, you, you have a technician work on your computer and it's like, you know, uh, do you, are, are you certified? No, you're not certified. It's like, well, I need you to be certified. Or, you know, you have these like, you know, uh, certification, you know, I, 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 could, I was going to talk academics, but I, I, I won't go there. <laughs> and that's what's so beautiful about these Bereans. That's what's so beautiful about this fellowship in Corinth, like those in the house of, the, of Chloe, those who, remember, this division has already, not has already happened, but it's happening. The Lord came to divide, and he, that's what He does in His Word. He divides. Anyone named a brother that's involved in, you know, idolatry, valor, extortion, drunkenness, sexual immorality, okay. They can, they can say that they're brothers. They can say that they're sisters. And yes, there's the acknowledgement, okay, yeah, you believe in Jesus Christ. Biblically, you know, you're my brother, you're my sister, I get it. But I don't see this fruit of the Spirit. So because I don't see the fruit of the Spirit, now I have to have this defensive posture. And it's not of your own doing. It's not like you have a defensive posture to, you know, be on a defensive posture. But you have a defensive posture because of their doing. 
It's because of them. It's not because of you. I mean, it's a, it's something that you're doing, but it's because of them. It's because of their choices. And as a result of their choices, you react. You become reactionary. You see? The same way the Lord is reactionary. That's how he works. And so we see what's happening here in verse um, 3. My defense to those who examine me. My defense to those who anacrino me, which is to scrutinize. I wonder how many people would say, oh, Paul shouldn't say that. Paul shouldn't do this. God is a God of love. You know, it's good to be unified in Christ. I'm all for church unity. I'm all for church unity. But don't forget our study in the book of Romans. Because in Romans chapter 16, verse 17, now I urge you, brethren, this is from Paul, the same writer to the church in Corinth, the same founder to the church in Corinth, I mean, I always say founder, like, you know, giving birth to the church. And he says in Romans 16, verse 17, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. You see, church unity is beautiful, but where there are offenses and divisions that are contrary to the doctrine, contrary to sound doctrine. Avoid them. You know what Satan has done? He's flipped that around. Somebody has sound doctrine and the church today says, avoid them. The one who has sound doctrine, avoid them. That's Satan has flipped it. He's flipped the script. You see how crafty he is? Not giving any you know credence or validity to the work of Satan, but you gotta admit he's quite crafty. He's quite good at what he does, and he's quite effective at what he does. And no kudos to him. Because he is our enemy. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. He was a murderer from the beginning. From the very beginning, he was a murderer. But he's flipped the script. Because people will go to fellowships, people will go to church, people will listen to sermons that, you know, oh, I want to hear good things. I want to go to church and feel good about myself. So I'm going to go find a pastor who's going to tickle my ears and whisper sweet nothings in my ears so that, yeah, I can be an idolater, I can be sexually immoral, I can be covetous, I can be an idolater, I can be a reviler, and I'll still feel good about myself. Oh, this guy, you know, yeah, he might teach sound doctrine, but you know what? He makes me feel bad, so, you know, he's dangerous. I'm going to avoid him. Satan has flipped the script. Let's go back to chapter 9, 1 Corinthians. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? You see? Do, I, do we have no right or authority and privilege to eat and drink? Because what's happening, you know, people say, oh, Paul's not an apostle, Paul's not, and then they start to make fun of him. And say, he says this, he says do this, he says do this. But in verse 11 is key. I'm going to fast forward to chapter 9, verse 11. And in verse 11, Paul says this. If we have sown spiritual things to you, 
Is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Is it a big deal if we reap your material things? Things pertaining to the flesh? And what he's writing about is support for teachers and pastors. Financial support. Offerings. Offerings unto the Lord. But for the benefit of pastors and teachers. For the benefit of the workers. Just like we see in the Old Testament. The camp of Israel would give, would make their sacrifices and offering unto the Lord. But within that offering unto the Lord, the Lord now gives to Aaron and the Levites. But you see the exact same thing here. As in an Old Testament example of the New Covenant. You know, the Old interpreting the New, the New interpreting the Old. The same exact thing here in verse 11. If we have sown spiritual things to you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? So that's what Paul is going to start to get into here. In verse 4, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? I love this so much because a believing wife here who is a sister in Christ, but also who is a wife. I love that so much because, you know, a lot of times what happens in ministry, it becomes very male-centric. Now, women can't be uh, pastors. Biblically, women can't be pastors and you know teach men. Don't de- teach men. But there's, a, there's like women tight. Look at Chloe. Look at those in Chloe's household. Look at uh, um, uh, 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 Phoebe. Look at Eunice and Lois, beautiful, beautiful women. You look at the pastors and the elders in Corinth, the defunct ones. Why is it that for three years this works, these these works of the flesh got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse? These uh, 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 the, the things of the carnal nature. Why were, why was the church three years ago babes in Christ, and three years later, why are they still babes in Christ? Why does it happen, O pastor of Corinth? Why does it happen, O elder in Corinth? Why does it happen? But you look at those in the household of Chloe. Probably, I can make a strong case for it. Probably a lot of women, if not a female fellowship. And I love that fellowship. I'm so in love with every single person in that fellowship. And I can't wait to meet them. Because I would much rather have those people in my camp than, you know, the defunct pastors, the defunct elders, even though the defunct pastors and elders, they might have the title. But where are the works? Where are the deeds? Where is the obedience? You see? Those in the household of Chloe had more of a overseeing role then, well, I shouldn't say more of an overseeing role, but more of an overseeing desire than those who were had the role of being overseer. Because look at the fruit. Look at the fruit in Corinth. You see, in verse 5, do we have no right to take along a believing wife? I want Chloe in my circle. I shouldn't say I want Chloe in my camp. I want Chloe in my circle. The camp is Christians. The camp is Christ. 
That's the camp. But in my circle, I want Chloe in my circle. You see? And those in her home fellowship. I want them in my circle. Oh, but look at this pastor. He's a big, tough guy. I don't see it. I see a little tiny pipsqueak. I see a little tiny baby. A little tiny, maybe even a hireling. A little tiny, maybe even a wolf. Maybe even a big, bad wolf. Remember, pastors and elders can transition into wolves. Listen to our study in Acts 20. Elders can become wolves. Overseers can become wolves. So maybe you have in the transition in Corinth, maybe you have a little wolf aspect where Satan has a stronghold. And he is transitioning a pastor, transitioning an elder into a wolf. Why? Because they don't test the spirits. You have people who like to claim the title of pastor, claim the title of elder, but they have no business in those positions. Do we have no right to take to take along a believing wife, as do uh, also as do also the other apostles, as do also the other apostles? Now, remember chapter seven, verse twenty nine. That's a that's a big deal. Chapter seven, verse twenty nine says, "But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none." You see. To be all about the Father's business. So in chapter 9, verse 5, it's kind of like the application of what is said in uh, chapter 7. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife or a sister in Christ who is also a wife, as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas? Now, this is Peter. You know, Peter was married. Peter had wives. Some of the other apostles, they had their own wives. But this is for wives who are also in ministry, married and single, married and single. So, you know, it's not to say women stay home, women stay home and, you know, do the dishes, women stay home and, you know, clean the house, women stay home and vacuum, women stay home and do this. No, because where maturity happens is 729. From now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. It's not, to, it's not to bring dishonor to the marriage. It's to look forward to the better marriage. It's to look forward to the better bridegroom and in service unto him. Now, this requires maturity. However long it takes, it requires maturity and it also requires death. Death. It requires New wineskin. Because if you're old wineskin, it's dangerous. You must be new wineskin. I would love to see Paul's circle. Paul's inner circle. Male and female. I wonder who these... Uh, you know, in verse 3 when he says, My defense to those who examine me, who anacrino me, he says, who scrutinize me. Oh, Paul's so dumb. Paul says he's an apostle. He's not an apostle. Paul says he's a messenger. He's not a messenger. He says, you know, that, you know, uh, uh, he refers to himself like this. But look at him. He's eating like this. He's, he goes to this house and, you know, he takes the food or, you know, he uh, he, he goes and this. he expects us to tithe unto him. He expects us to, you know, look, he takes these women with him. 
He takes these guys with them. Look, he, these, this guy is married to this lady. No, the lady should be at home, you know, doing the dishes. The lady should be out. The lady has no business here. And who is this single lady? Who is this, this married lady? Where is her husband? Her husband's not there. And here she is in Paul's circle. What's really going on? Understand that, no, in Christ, in Christ, there's no slave, no free, no Jew, no Gentile, no male, nor female. This requires maturity. It requires new wineskin. Because if there is no new wineskin, that means the old man, the old woman is still alive. And when that happens, that's where it becomes dangerous. That's why you see ministries fall apart. You know, a guy and a girl in so-called service unto the Lord. And it might be in service unto the Lord. I shouldn't say so-called service unto the Lord. Because it might start out with the best of intentions. But then you see, okay, they're, they're not new wineskins. They haven't reckoned the old man dead. They haven't reckoned the old woman dead. And then all kinds of mess happens. A lot of it sexually. Or you have a group of guys and a group of females. And there's no new wineskin. Everybody's old wineskin. Nobody's mature. You might have babes in Christ. People who've been, they're brand new believers, less than a year old. Brand new believers, less than a year old. Maybe five months believers. Oh yeah, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do this. We're gung-ho about this. And I love the passion. But it's dangerous. Because Satan's a fisherman. It's very dangerous because Satan's a fisherman. It's very, very dangerous. I would love to see Paul's inner circle who were married people. Maybe, you know, a single guy, a single lady. A couple of them. Paul is single. Paul's never been married. No funny business. Like you see in the world today. No funny business like you see in ministries today. No funny business. No sex. No drugs. No alcohol. Like you see in ministries today. Pastors getting together. Okay, let's get high. Nobody's looking. Let's get high. Nobody's looking. Let's have sex. Nobody's looking. Let's get drunk. Oh, the church thinks we're missionaries. Okay, let's go into you know the third world. And, you know, we're going to go off radar for like three days. And during that three days, we're going to get high. We're going to get drunk. We're going to have sex. We're going to have all these prostitutes. And the church, meanwhile, they're praying for us. They think we're doing godly things, but we're doing wicked things. We're doing satanic things. It happens. And I could name names. No, there has to be death. There must be maturity, and where you see maturity, you also see death. You see? What do you mean death? Crucified with Christ. That's what I mean. That's what you see. A lot of people say, oh yeah, wives can't do it. Females can't serve in this capacity. Females, The Bible says females can be pastors. Don't teach men. That's what the Bible says. Aside from that, I see it, you know, you look at the warrior class 
and I see a large majority of warrior class among females. Very few among the males. Among the males, I see a lot of babies. I see a lot of boys among the males. You see? It's like those in the household of Chloe. I wonder, in chapter 5, verse 11, anyone named a brother. I love how Paul specifically says anyone named a brother. Not anyone named a sister or a believer, a fellow believer. He just says anyone named a brother. I wonder. The sexually immoral, the covetous, the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard, the extortioner that he mentions in chapter 5, verse 11. I wonder, how many, what is the proportion of male to female? It could be 50-50. It could be. It could be predominantly female. It could be. But I wonder if it's like 75 plus percent male. I wonder. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if it was 80% male. Because where I see the high concentration of babies, where I see the high concentration of the youthful, the non-spiritual, is among the males. That's just my perspective. Just, Just an observation. And a lot of wives are treated, a lot of women, not just wives, a lot of females are treated like second class. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. Who says? Says who? The Bible? Don't say the Bible because the Bible only says a woman can't be a pastor. That's what the Bible says. Not to teach men. That's what the Bible says. But a woman can teach other women. And don't forget, Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla taught Apollo, Apollos, but with the covering of her husband. So it wasn't like men in plurality. It was like, you know, more intimate. You see? And also, don't forget, in, in, in Romans, Phoebe, beautiful, beautiful Phoebe, Romans 16, verse 1, I commend you to Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant, who is a diakonos, diakonos, deacon, teacher, minister, and servant. Diakonos. A servant of the church in Centrea, that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. I wonder if there were some people who said, oh, I'm not going to have a woman, you know, she's not going to be over me. I'm not going to have a woman serve in this capacity. She's a woman. She needs to stay home. Stay home, clean the house. Stay home, do the dishes. Stay home, do the laundry. And today you have this slave class of women in the church, inside the church. The world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. I'm talking about inside the church. In today's church, you have a slave class, the women. And the concubine class, the women. And I say that because I'll, I don't mean concubine class like, you know, hearken to our past studies. Where husbands treat their own wives as concubines and slaves. Concubine is a sexual slave. Like, you're only there for sex. That's what you're there for. You're only there to clean my house. You're only there to, you know, do the dishes. You're only there to cook. Slave class. That's what you see in the church today. Slave class. Slaves and concubines. That's what you see in the women today, the sisters. 
But Paul says to the church in Rome that there's this lady from Centrea. She's a servant of the church. She's a diacono. She's a teacher. She's a minister. She's a servant. And you guys in Rome, you receive her in the Lord in a manner that is worthy of the saints. You guys, she's a servant of the Lord. Certified, certified, sealed servant of the Lord, this Phoebe from Centrea. And you guys, you guys behave becoming of Christians. You guys behave in a manner that is worthy of the saints. And you know what that is? Number one, you receive her. Number two, he says, and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. You see, she's calling the shots. The Lord's calling the shots. But in obedience, because she's his servant, you know, she might say, you know, you go get these boxes. You go across town and buy these. You And she's calling the shots. But what you don't see is this beautiful, 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 beautiful Phoebe, our sister in Christ. What you don't see is that while you're home sleeping, while you're home, you know, with your mimis and you're, you know, you're sleeping, you get tired. Phoebe, beautiful, beautiful Phoebe, she doesn't tire. She's on her face before the Lord. Praying to him, studying his word and seeking direction from him. And the Lord says, okay, you know, they got these supplies across town. And she wakes up in the morning and tells you, hey, go get these supplies across town. She's calling, to you, she's calling the shots. But to her, the Lord is calling the shots. And Paul is saying, you guys, be Christians and receive her. Oh, women can't serve. She needs to be at home. She's, she's married. You know, she needs to be at home doing the dishes. She needs to be at home as the, as the concubine of her husband. She, no, 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 no. Receive her in a manner worthy of the saints. Maybe she's single. I'm of the opinion that, you know, I think she's single. You know, I don't know. We're going to find out. She might not be, but I think she's single. Because she's living, serving the Lord. She's free. she's free of the, you know, what we studied in chapter 7. She doesn't have those binds. She doesn't have to be concerned with the things of the world in being married. She's concerned about the Lord, how she can please the Lord and keeping her body pure. Oh, women can't serve. Women can't serve. Says who? Says who? Oh, women can't be over me. Women can't be Says who? She can't teach you as a pastor. You see? You guys are the ones. You assist Phoebe in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed she has been a helper of many and of myself also. You see? The proof is in the pudding. The fruit of Phoebe. You see? Beautiful, beautiful Phoebe. I can't wait to meet her. I can't wait. You know, I, I want to sit next to like Phoebe, you know, Priscilla, Aquila. I want to sit next to uh, Chloe. You know, it's like, wow. It's like, whew. beautiful, beautiful people. 
And so, I mean, that's in the marriage supper. I'm going to be a butterfly. I'm going to be all over the place. So let's go what happens here in verse 5, chapter 9, verse 5, 1 Corinthians. Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, a sister who's, you know, who's a Christian, who's also a wife, as do the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord, and Cephas, you see? And, and don't forget, you know, as, as we move from this particular topic of women in service unto the Lord, you know, I say death is required. But for the men, for the men, for my brothers in Christ whom I love. Get very comfortable. If you're serving in ministry capacity, get very comfortable as permitted by the Lord. But get very comfortable with the idea of being a eunuch. A eunuch. Because your service is service unto the Lord. A eunuch. You're there to please the master. Capital M. You're there in the service and for the pleasure of the master. Jesus Christ. You're not there to serve yourself. You're not there for the pleasure of yourself. Your little creature comforts. Which, depending on what those creature comforts are. There's the comforts of the old nature. The old man. And there's the comforts of the new man, the one who's in Christ. And those will be entirely different. Get very comfortable with the idea of, you know, I'm not speaking like literally like, okay, you know, I'm going to serve the Lord. And then, you know, I'm speaking spiritually, metaphysically, supernaturally. But get very used to the idea of being a spiritual eunuch because you're in service to the king. And his courts and his flock. His lambs and his sheep. In verse 6, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Is it only Bar- Remember, Barnabas was a son of encouragement and he was wealthy too. He had like properties. Remember, he sold, you know, properties and gave it to the church. And then, you know, you have uh, uh, um, uh, uh, um, uh, the husband and wife duo that lied to the Holy Spirit. Remember? Uh, I forgot their names. Uh, but we've studied that in the book of Acts. The husband and a wife duo who lied to the Holy Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to the Holy They conspired together against the Holy Spirit and they lied to him. And Barnabas, he didn't lie to the Holy Spirit. He sold his property and gave 100% of the proceeds to the church. Whatever you guys have need of here, do whatever you want. Not whatever you want, but do whatever the Lord, the Lord's bidding. Is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? So remember, so Barnabas and Paul, they were workers, workers of the Lord, but they also worked, they toiled with their hands. Others were supported in their ministry by the Christians, by churches, by the saints. Others were supported in their ministry. But Paul and Barnabas, no. They didn't take any money from the church. Paul and Barnabas. Remember, Paul's Barnabas is a son of encouragement, but the name son of encouragement, Barnabas, it was given to them by the apostles. It was given to Barnabas by the apostles. He was really Jose. I mean, yeah, that's the Latino terminology. Joseph. Joseph. I say Jose. The S is silent. First Latino in the Bible. But it was the apostles who gave him the name Barnabas, son of encouragement. 
You see? Do, are we the only ones who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at, at his own expense. No, when you go to war, it's at another's on another's dime. You know, if you're in the military, it's at the government's expense you go to war. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? So remember, in verse 3, this is Paul's defense. Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? This is Paul's defense from those who examine him, those who anaquino him, those who scrutinize him. Now, Paul is under scrutiny, but you have to look at who's doing the scrutinizing, you see? Just like, you know, we mentioned in, in like those in the household of Chloe. Think of all the carnal believers, the non-spiritual. Remember, Paul says, I can't speak, to, I cannot speak to you like spiritual people. Think of those people, the, the, the non-spiritual people, the carnal people. Oh, those in Chloe's household, that fellowship, they're a bunch of gossipers. They're just a bunch of murmurs and complainers. No, when somebody scrutinizes you, you, you have to look at who's doing the scrutinizing. And look at the, look at the fruit in their lives. Because you have a guy who's on his third marriage and he's scrutinizing you. In one ear, out the other. You have a lady who's on her fourth marriage and she's scrutinizing you. In one ear, out the other. Then you look at their kids. A bunch of rebel rousers in their home. No respect for parents. And then their mom says something about you. Their dad says something about you. In one ear, out the other. Somebody says, oh, you know, you're such, you just murmur and complain. You're, you know, you're, you're a gossiper. Why are you concerned about this? Why are you concerned about that? You're such a legalist. You're so stupid. You're such a fool. Don't do that. Don't be this way. God wouldn't want that. God wants this. God wants unity. And then you look at the, just pause for a moment and examine the fruit Okay, this guy's a crackhead, this guy's a sex head, this lady's, you know, like tossed to and fro by all kinds of various doctrines, you know, this lady goes grave soaking, this lady in, 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 likes the uh, so-called pastors who say it's okay to take the mark of the beast, you know, they read these study Bibles by people who say it's okay to take the mark of the beast, you know, and that's where they get their so-called food from. You do these like, you know, you do your own scrutinizing. And you know what? In one ear, out the other. But in this scrutinization, a godly man, a godly woman, it doesn't matter how old, could be a super old guy, could be a super young guy, could be a super old lady, could be a super young lady. They come to you. And say, look, brother, look, sister, I love you, but, you know, I, I notice that this is happening and this isn't right. This isn't good before the Lord. And then you look at their own fruit, you know. Oh, she's not married. Why isn't she married? Is she a jerk? No, she's lovely. She's beautiful. She's uh, a pleasure to my soul. Okay, why isn't she married? She, like, she can be married in a piece of cake. 
because she wants to be single so she can serve the Lord. She's waiting for her marriage unto the Lord. Okay, so maybe what she says, I should take it now. Okay, let me look at the fruit a little bit more. Um, you know, she doesn't go grave soaking like everybody else does. She doesn't, you know, read these study Bibles where, you know, people say it's okay to take the mark of the beast. Okay, doctrine's good. That's kind of an easy one, you know, don't take the mark of the beast. And she says, this isn't good before the Lord. Then you say, okay, thank you, sister. You go home. And you could be a male, too. You could be a male and, you know, the sister comes to you and says, hey, brother, I notice this. She's not teaching you. She's not opening up the Bible and, like, you know, teaching you, like, okay, let's study what this says. But she's being a sister in Christ. In Christ. Helping you. Remember, in Christ, no male, female. But she's still a sister nonetheless. And she comes to you. She's single. Not single because she's a jury. A lot of people are single because they're stupid. But she's single because she's waiting on the Lord. And then at the same time, you know, she starts to tell you these things. And you're like, okay. Thank you, sister. Then you go home that night. You're in your prayer closet or in your own personal time with the Lord. You read the Bible. You get on your face before the Lord or get on your knees and you start to pray. Lord, this really bothered me. This sister came to me and said this. This sister came to me and said that and said it wasn't good. And you're going to feel the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will confirm. You know, maybe she's crazy or maybe she's right. But the Holy Spirit will confirm. If you have your own intimacy with the Lord. And you're going to open up your eyes, say amen. Maybe text her. Give her a call. Say, look. Sister, you were right. Sister, thank you so much. Or lady, you know, you acknowledge her just a lady before, but now you understand she's a sister. Now you understand he's a brother if it was a guy who did it to you. Wow, this guy really loves my soul. This lady really loves my soul. Nobody told me this before. Nobody said this wasn't good. But he really loves me. She really loves me. Not just me. Not just my body. But like my soul. You see? That's what's so beautiful about. It's like, you know, we get these fleshly carnal ideas of like, you know, women can't do this, you know. No. No. Women cannot teach men. That's it. Women can't teach men. And, you know, if. There's like, you know, women can teach men through example, by example. You know, like, you know, not to open up the Bible and, you know, have like, you know, you know, a bunch of married people there and like a bunch of men and for a woman to be like, oh, I'm Pastor Josephine or I'm Pastor Jennifer. I'm Pastor, you know, whatever. And you start to, you open up the Bible and say, okay, let's see what the Bible, no, 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 don't do that. You can do it to women. Do it to women. Children, do it to children. But then by example, that's why I wonder, you know, if men are going to stand before the Lord one day and the Lord is going to say, hey, how come you didn't listen to the helper I gave you? And then a guy I mean, I referenced the Holy Spirit. Well, Lord, you know, your Holy Spirit was, and he's like, no, 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 no. Stop there for a moment. 
I'm talking about the helper lowercase h. I'm not talking about the uppercase h. I'm talking about the lowercase h, the helper who you called your wife. I'm talking about that helper. She submitted to you because my word says that wives submit to their own husbands. And she submitted to you to teach you how to submit to me. Why in the world did you not submit to me? Why in the world did you not submit to me the same way your wife submitted to you? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You see? Husband goes to hell, wife goes to heaven. You see? Now, it's pretty graphic. I don't want to say, like, you know, husbands are going to burn in hell. But I wonder. A lot of husbands get this idea. We get kind of like these fat heads. Big fat heads. These ego, ego, egos are huge. Wife, submit to me. Wife, submit to me. Everybody, submit to me. I mean, you know, like wife and kids. You know, submit to me. Submit to me. You know, I am the commander of my house. Be careful. Because even children can teach in that capacity. A husband wants to be wayward. A husband wants to say, I am the leader of my house. I am the ruler of my house. And the whole time the children are in submission to him, the children submit to mom and dad, the wife submits to husband, except the husband does not submit to Jesus Christ. He's going to have to answer in heaven. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but woo. Can you imagine, Lord? Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Husband goes to hell, wife goes to heaven. You see? And to the husband, he says, how come you didn't, you know, the, the, the helper that I gave you, that I gave you, lowercase h. You see? She showed you how to submit. She showed you what submission looked like. Your kids showed you what submission looks like. And you still were so blind that you didn't follow their example. You didn't learn from their example. So women can teach, not in the capacity of like opening up your Bible and say, okay, men, you know, women, a, a woman leading a men's fellowship, a men's group. Okay, men, you know, let me teach you about pornography. Okay, men, let me teach you about this. No. That's not biblical. A lot of churches do that. They have women teach so the men can get a female perspective. No, forget the female perspective. I don't mean that, you know, forgive me, females. Forgive me, sisters. Get the God perspective. What is the Lord's perspective? You see, a lot of men have problems with pornography and churches because they want to appeal to the senses. They want to be little man pleasers. They want to appeal to the fleshly things. They have the woman get up and say her perspective. And the woman gets up and, you know, oh yeah, this is so damaging to females and this. It's like, men don't think that way. I don't know. I'm, some guys do, but they have a little bit too much sugar in the tank. But for the men... For the men, let me say this. Forget the woman's perspective. I mean, for now, I mean, the woman has a perspective. But let's look at the God perspective. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Boom. There's the God perspective. You want to do your sexual stuff? Boom. Chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 comes into play. Oh, but God's gracious, God's merciful, God is loving. I can do those things because of the, what was imputed to me at the cross. Okay. You want to go there? Okay. Chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 is after chapter 5, verse 11 and 13, which is, you know, uh, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, idolatry, violent, drunkard, extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. You see, we get these, we look for loopholes. That's the carnal nature. We like to look for loopholes. Okay, let me do my sex. Let me do my crack. Let me do my meth. Let me do my marijuana. It's from Chiapas, Mexico. Let me do this. It's the best. And then let me look for loopholes in the Bible where I can get away with it. Oh, God is gracious. Okay, cool. That I can do it and God is gracious. He, he, he permits all these things. A lot of churches, they do that. Let's have the women teach men. Let's have this woman teach men about pornography. That's very, very dangerous. Run from that. that that's your fellowship? Run. That's... Whew. Dangerous. Last days. Remember... Apostasy of the last days. The last days church is either false, apostate, or it's true. That's what the Bible says. The last days church, church, is either false, apostate, or it's true. That's, you know, 33%. That's a small fraction of the church that's safe. Now, among the Christians... Don't forget now, among the Christians, you have, you know, of that 33%, what do you have? You have wise and foolish. You see? That's 50% of the 30. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. Do not be deceived. It just blows me away so much how the Lord teaches us these things, but then it's like, wait a second, do I have ears to hear? Do I have eyes to see? And the whole time the Lord is desiring to show us, desiring to teach us. And He uses these vessels. In the Old Testament, the prophets. In the New Testament, the apostles. Oh, there are still prophets and, you know, evangelists and messengers. Prophetesses, remember the, the, the daughters of Philip? You see? In verse 8, in chapter 9, verse 8, Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? Now, so it's very likely that those in the church were Jews who were scrutinizing Paul, who, you know, in accordance to the law, the, the, the Jews in the church who they were believers, but they also they needed to let go of the law. So they're Christians, but they're still youthful in Christ. That's why Paul says, and you get to the pastoral epistles, don't use a novice. Don't choose a novice. 
So it could be that they were Jews who were scrutinizing Paul, or it could be the carnal who were scrutinizing Paul. I don't know. You could say maybe those are synonymous because it's like, okay, well, you know, what is in Christ? Because remember, in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile. Does the law say this? Does not the law say the same? Also, verse 9, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox. You shall not muzzle an ox. Anytime you see ox in the Old Testament, a large majority of time it refers to teachers and pastors. It's an Old Testament example of teachers and pastors. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Because in the Old Testament, you know, they'd have the, they'd lay out the, 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 the they lay out the, like the, the, the grass, you know, and then the ox would walk, walk, walk around like in a circle, you know, tied to, they would be yoked and the ox would walk around in a circle to, and their feet would, you know, stamp out the, the, the wheat and it would separate the wheat from the, from the, the, the sheaves. And so, and then they'd take the sheaves and toss it up in the air, and then the air would blow the chaff, and what remained is the seed. That was the process. But while the ox did that, while the ox walked, and while he treaded, and while he, that threshing floor, while he did that, he would also eat and graze, you know, kind of put his head down, pick up some stuff, and eat. Sometimes the, the, the shepherd next to him would be right next to him, you know, and put like leaves and put the food in his mouth. That's what that's what that's how it would work. You shall not muzzle and now if you muzzled the ox, you know what? The ox couldn't eat. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. You see? The ox is at work. The ox is busy. The ox is, you know, in a, a, a vessel being used to separate, to make that separation. Not just the wheat and the tares, but the wheat from the sheaves. The ox is a vessel being used in that process of separation. But it still eats during, while it's, it still eats. Is it, is it oxen God is concerned about? You see, in the Old Testament, remember, the whole purpose of these things that we're studying in Leviticus, Numbers, a little bit of Exodus, but not Leviticus and Numbers, is for people to be right with God. The priesthood, the Levites, everything for people to be right with the Lord. New Testament, for people to be right with the Lord. You see, in verse 10, or does he say it all together for our sakes? You see, all together in, in assembly, or does he say it all together for our sakes? Question marks, for our sakes, no doubt. This is the camp of the church. The camp of the church. Don't muzzle the ox. Don't muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Does that mean that God is desires the ox to, to be nice and fat and you know you know eating and all these things? No, 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 no. God is concerned about people being right with Him. The ox is one of His vessels. The pastor is one of His elders, or one of His vessels. The ox is one of His vessels. You see, the teacher is one of his vessels while he treads out the grain. You see, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written that he who plows should plow in hope. Remember, hope, you know, in Hebrews 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for. But this word for hope is the expectation and confidence that in hope, it's not just 
hope we 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 blindly have this you know this desire this hope it's it's the expectation with confidence that what we hope in what we hope for and in whom we hope in and in whom in whom we hope for shall come to pass he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of this hope it's a lot of hope in this verse if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing? Is it a big deal if we reap your material things? This is support, financial support for teachers and pastors. Is it really a big deal, especially knowing that the law says in verse 9, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain? The law of Moses even says that. That's why, you know, it's like maybe it was the Jews who were scrutinizing because they're referencing Moses. So Paul also references Moses. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it a big deal that we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? So I wonder, you know, the defunct pastors, the defunct elders in Corinth, I wonder if they didn't have any jobs in accordance to this world. I wonder if they didn't have any jobs, but they had the title of pastor, but they had the title of teacher, they had the title of elder, and they were receiving financial support from the church. I wonder. Or the, you know, the, uh, the, in chapter 4, verse 15, though you might have 10,000 instructors, so this 10,000 instructors, preschool teachers, I wonder how many of them were receiving financial support from the church, from Christians. And, you know, if they're preschool teachers, kindergarten teachers, you know, usually preschool teachers and kindergarten teachers don't have the same salary as the university level or who's on chair. At a university. I'm just speaking academically in accordance to the world. But a preschool teacher might receive, you know, depending on the school, might receive X amount of dollars. But triple, quadruple, even more times that, at, you know, higher echelon academia for the chair, you have a professor who has tenure. And I'm not speaking financially here, but I'm just showing this example. In verse 12, in 1 Corinthians 9, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Do we not have more of a right to, to uh, 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 reap your material things? Remember verse 11, to reap your material things. And Paul says, do, are, do we not even have more of this right over you? You have these preschool teachers. But look at this circle, Paul's circle. They're not preschool teachers. Men and women included. They're not preschool teachers. They're not kindergarten teachers. Men and women together. And he says this in verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not used this right. I love this so much because you see uh, this denial of this right over the church. Look. We have this right over you. But we're not using this right, he says. But we endure, he says in verse 12, we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, 
This is very interesting because this to hinder the gospel of Christ in the in the Greek, it's it's more in the appalling sense. At the appalling sense, like, like the gospel is hindered and restricted and obstructed, but it's as a result of us. It's as a result of you know, like when he says, uh, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. He's saying it's appalling if that were to happen. It's appalling if that were to happen. You see? But we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Now, remember in chapter 4? In chapter 4, remember in chapter 4, in verse 8... When Paul says to the church, you are already full, exclamation point. You are already rich, exclamation point. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, last. You see, people think, oh, you see the TV on, on you know, tricking believers nightly. You watch the TV and you see, oh, this is apostle whatever. This is prophetess whatever. This is... You know, pastor, whatever. This is deacon, whatever. This is bishop, whatever. First, it's always, oh, wow, look, they sit in this authority, the seat in authority. They have their special parking spot. But no, in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 4, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made the filth of the world, the off-scoring, the scum is how it translates, of all things until now. Paul is saying of this circle, himself and other men and other women, they're not preschool teachers as we see in, you know, in verse 15. They're not kindergarten teachers. And he's saying, we have been, we have become, we have been made the filth and the scum of the world. But it's for you, church. For you, Corinth. And in verse 9, or in chapter 9, he's saying, Do we not have even more right to reap of your material things? But they say, Paul says, of them, of this circle of beautiful people, men and women. Women in Paul's circle, women in Paul's entourage, women in service unto the Lord, women who aren't preschool teachers, who aren't, you know, uh, kindergarten teachers. But you have, no, death is required. You cannot be old wineskin in this circle. Death is required. Crucified with Christ is a requirement in this circle. No funny business like you see today. You know, a group of people, men and women, going to ministry, and nobody's married. Then all of a sudden, you see the women getting pregnant. You see, you know what's happening. A youth group, you know, the church has you know all these people going to youth group, and then you know they're uh, two weeks at, at youth camp, 
And then they come back and you see like all these, like, you know, 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 15-year-olds, they're pregnant. What in the world is happening? You know what's happening. But in this circle that we're speaking of, death is required. Eunuchs are required. You see? Spiritually speaking. In verse 13, chapter 9, verse 13, 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that those who minister, those who work and toil and are engaged in this work, that's how ministry translates here. Do you not know that those who work or those who toil and those who are engaged in this holy work, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? This is what we're studying in Numbers. We see this, how the Lord makes provision for the priests and the Levites to partake of you know, what the people offer to the Lord. The Lord says, okay, cut off this portion, burn this portion, and this other portion that you cut off, this is for you. This is for your family. This is for you. This is for your sons, for the priests. This is for the Kohanim. This is for the Levites. And then this extra portion, it's for your families, your homes, and your daughters. So it is an Old Testament example of this New Testament truth and this New Testament example of this Old Testament truth. Do you not know that those who minister to the holy things eat of the things of the temple? It's the priesthood. You see, exactly the same. Exactly the same. You know why? Because the Lord never changes. The truth remains. Old Testament, New Testament, the truth remains. Just like the Lord is the constant. You see? And it could very well be that these people who are scrutinizing Paul, it could very well be that they have good intentions. It could very well be that they have good intentions. But you have to look at the fruit. Maybe they're babies. Well, I mean, we know that they're youthful because of what with the state of the church. Maybe they have to let go of the things of the law. Either way, you have to look at the fruit. You have to examine the fruit. In verse 13, the last part, and those who serve or those who attend as servants, those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Now, these are all provisions in the law for the Kohanim and the Levites. Remember in Numbers, we studied how God said to Aaron that the Levites are, are, are helpers to you. I'm giving them to you as a gift, he says. Remember, he says in Numbers, he says, I myself, I myself, Aaron, and giving you this gift of the Levites. And it's not like a servant class. So, you know, um, uh, Aaron has his, you know, somebody to clean his house. A group of people to, you know, clean his house, make his food. No. It's to help him in service unto the Lord. Helpers. And the Lord says, I'm giving these people to you. You see, Kohanim, you serve in this capacity. The Levitical priesthood, you serve in this capacity. And it's all in service unto the Lord. We've studied this in the Old Testament. And here we see this New Testament example. And so he says in verse 14, even so, or in the same manner, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. This is financial support for teachers and pastors. Tithes, offerings, they're made to the Lord. But then it's the Lord who gives to his workers. Old Testament, New Testament is the same. God never changes. In verse 15, but I have used none of these things. I love Paul so much. This is Paul's denial of these things. He has every right. In verse 12, 
If other are if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? They have every right. But he says in verse 12, nevertheless, we have not used this right. Paul re-emphasizes it in verse 15. But I have used none of these things, none of these things. Nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. So he's not writing for personal gain. Not at all. He's a messenger and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who is saying, Paul, write this down. He's not writing for, for you know, uh, in verse 11, if he was writing, mean, not to sound blasphemous, but if he were writing for his own personal gain, he says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? You know, therefore, write us a check. Therefore, give us this. Therefore, give us that. He says, no, we don't, we don't want it. We haven't used this right in verse 12. In verse 15, I have used none of these things. He's not writing out of selfish ambition. Remember, he's a vessel of the Lord, and the Lord is using him. In verse 15, for it would be better for me to die that, than that anyone should make my boasting void. You see, I don't want your money, he says. That's what he said. I don't want your money. These material things in verse 11, I don't want it. Hey, church in Corinth, I don't want your money. The church, why? What, what, what's your motivation? Why? No, it just exalts his motivation. Not exaltation in terms of worship, but it, 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 it shows the, the beauty of his calling. Because his desire is for people to have intimacy with Jesus Christ. Just like John the Baptist. I must decrease. And he must increase his sacrifice. In verse 16, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. So, you know, he's not a doctor, not a lawyer, not a celebrity. Look at what he is. He's a messenger. He's an apostle. But remember chapter 4, verse 13? He speaks of himself from experience. That he has been made the filth and the scum of the world. Remember they left him for dead? Look at how he's treated in the synagogues. We studied Acts. Look at how he's treated in the synagogues. For necessity is laid upon me. How this translates is for constraint is laid upon me. Or intense aching is laid upon me. Or pressing me. This intense aching is pressing me is how it translates in verse 16. Intense aching is pressing him. Now, in Christ, the more intimacy you have with Jesus Christ and the more growth and maturity you have in Jesus Christ, something's going to happen. You're going to feel the world is pressing you. You're going to feel the pressure of the world as if it's like stepping on you. But you're also going to rejoice. You know why? Because you're full of new wine. And when the world presses you, that new wine is going to pour out. You're going to rejoice. But something else happens. Sometimes it's not the world that's pressing you. Sometimes it's our Lord Himself who is pressing you. And you rejoice even more so. Why? Because new wine 
is pouring out when you're pressed. You see, in all things rejoice. For necessity, he says, this intense aching is pressing me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You see his obedience to the Lord, no matter what. No matter what. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. You see, willing or not willing, Paul, he remains obedient. Either way, his call is confirmed. Either way. What is my reward then, he says, that when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, free. That's what he's saying here. That's his reward. That's what's so beautiful because a lot of times we think about rewards in heaven, which we will have rewards in heaven. But a lot of times we think, okay, reward in heaven. You know, I don't have anything on this earth. I don't have anything. So my reward is in heaven. And that's that's fine. It's biblical. Reward is in heaven. But don't forget, Paul refers to his reward on this earth. And what is this reward that he speaks of? That he can preach Christ without charge, free of charge. Because remember, you say, okay, Paul, if you, if you don't ask for our money, then why are you, why are you in it? No, it, you see his calling, his calling is confirmed in that. Then you could understand, okay, Paul, like, remember in verse Three, my defense to those who examine me. Look at the fruit. What's his interest? I mean, Paul goes around preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus Christ. He cleans house. Okay, there's that aspect. He does that. Okay, now let's examine things. He doesn't ask for money. Never has he asked for money. Never does he ask for our material things. On top of that, he's beaten. He's left for dead. On top of that, you know, homeless. On top of that, all these things. This is special people that are with him, this entourage. I say entourage, but, you know, that's just to explain like a group of people. But it's not really an entourage. It's workers of Christ. Remember in, 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 in uh, uh, chapter 3? To make the distinction of fellow fellow workers and God's field. In chapter 3 verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Remember to, to make that distinction. Who are the workers and who are the field? And if you're in ministry, you're the worker. And I say if you're in ministry, you're the worker. But if you're in ministry... And you're the worker, but you're not teaching sound doctrine. You're not teaching the word of God. Then, you know, you're not a worker. You're because the Lord doesn't contradict himself. The kingdom isn't divided against itself. God isn't divided against God. So a servant, a worker in God's field. Is not going to do the grave soaking and not going to teach the grave soaking. Is not going to teach anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. You see, people say, oh, you're so strict. You're too, you're too rigid. You need to be more forgiving. I understand. Forgiveness is beautiful. But we're not talking about the field. We're not talking about the building. We're talking about the workers. A people whom are which under this greater scrutiny 
and that is of the Lord. Stricter judgment for teachers. Stricter judgment for pastors, for elders. Much stricter judgment. That he may present the gospel of God without charge free. He said, I don't want your money. I don't want your money. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. That I may not misuse my authority. This word for authority is excusia in the Greek. It's superhuman mastery. Superhuman mastery. Power. Strength. Force. Competency. Superhuman. But it's of the Lord. In Paul's denial, we see his meekness. And it's all in his service unto the Lord. All in service unto the Lord. All about Jesus Christ. Aboda, aboda, mishkan. Remember our study in Leviticus? Aboda, aboda, mishkan. A New Testament example. A New Covenant example of his sacrifice in service unto the Lord. Yes, he has every right to partake of the great, the great things if they reap the material things of the church in Corinth. But they deny this right. Verse 15, I have used none of these things. Well, why, Paul? Why do you do it? Why do you not ask for our money? Why do you not ask for this? So that I can present the gospel of Christ without charge. I'll toil and make tents. By the sweat of my brow, I'll put these tents together. And I'll sell them. Make money, and with this money, I'm gonna, you know, you know, the gospel is gonna be advanced. I can preach the gospel without charge, and I'm also gonna take care of those under my charge. This little entourage, this circle, men, women, and the Lord is providing, so that we can teach the good news free of charge. You see. So beautiful. So beautiful. In verse 19, For though I am free, for though I am am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. This is his, it translates as self-shackling. Self-shackling, I have made myself a servant to all. Self-shackling and enslavement. Enslavement to all. That I might win more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew. This is very interesting because carnal eyes, you know, worldly eyes, he's Jewish. But eyes of the Spirit, he's a Christian. He's born again. He's a believer. He's a messenger. He's a worker of the Lord. You see? Remember, in the book of Acts, he still shaved his head. The, the vow of the Nazarite, remember? He still shaved his head. He still circumcised Timothy. But we see why. In verse 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. You see, he's all about God's business. That's why he says in chapter 7, you know, he says, I'm going to make this suggestion. Don't get married. I'm going to make this suggestion. Whether you're male or female, don't get married. It's like, wow, does Paul not want me to have kids, get married, have kids, have a happy life? And uh, No, no. Paul's not saying that at all. 
Remember in chapter 7, verse 32, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And then also in verse 34, the unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. You see? That's why Paul says, so we can serve the Lord. So that we can serve the Lord. Bondservants in the shepherd's house. Remember we studied that in Leviticus and Numbers? Bondservants in the shepherd's house. In verse 21, chapter 9, to those who are without law, as without law, and I love this in parentheses, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, you see? So when he says, to those who are without law, as without law, and, you know, emphasis on the parentheses, I say that, emphasis on the parentheses, you know why? Because a lot of people use verse 21, verse 21 as license to be carnal, license for carnal lifestyles, carnal living, so they can say, oh yeah, you know, I want to go work in this drug ministry and I'm going to go hang out with these crackheads. I'm going to go hang out with these meth heads because, you know, and so I'm going to pretend to be a meth head and then they get sucked into that lifestyle. But no, it's say, okay, you can go, you know, if the Lord is calling you, go do it. If the Lord is calling you, you have to test the spirits. Go do it. But that's where the parentheses comes into play. Not being without law toward God, but under law towards Christ. So, yeah, if the Lord is calling you, go do it. But don't use that. Don't, you know, use this verse as license to sin. No, remember, you have to be a fisherman. Understanding and knowing that Satan is a fisherman as well. Satan is a fisherman too. You see? Always under the law of Christ. Always remember that. Always remember that. Because Paul himself, he says, but under law towards Christ, he's referencing his own covering. Which is what? I should say, which is who? Jesus Christ. You see? In obedience to Jesus Christ, in submission to Jesus Christ. That I might win, he says in verse 21, that I might win those who are without the law. He's all about the Lord's business and he's preaching for free. He's teaching for free. Not saying, yeah, I'll teach, but give me a hundred bucks. Yeah, I'll teach, but give me a thousand bucks. You see these, you know, uh, guest speakers at churches. A lot of times the guest speakers, they will not come without money. Or worship teams. Worship leaders that, you know, a church will say, okay, we're going to have this band come and play. They're going to lead worship. But what you don't see is the contract that they have the, where the worship, the, the, that worship band, they say, yeah, we're going to worship and we'll go to your church. But you got to give us a check for $10,000. You got to give us a check for $5,000 and then we'll come. Paul's saying, nope, I'm not playing that game. I don't want that. You see? I don't want the gospel to be hindered. That's what he's saying. Remember verse 12? We have not used this right. Yes, we have We have even more right to partake of your material things. But we're not using this right. Lest we, we endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. You see? It makes powerful the gospel of Christ. He's all about the Lord's business. In verse 22, to the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men. Why? He says that I might by all means or in all situations save some. 
you see. Save some. Very interesting how we see this. In order for this to happen, I have to say something for ministry leaders or even missionaries. Anybody who goes and, you know, preaches or, you know, goes on a, goes as a fisherman or fisherwoman. Anybody who fishes for souls. When you read these, when he, when he says like in verse uh, 22, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Number one, you must know the Lord. You must know the Lord. You must be a Berean and know the Lord and know the word. You must have knowledge of the word of God. It's a gift. It's not the greatest gift. But it is a powerful gift. You must know the Lord. And number two, the Lord must know you. It's not to know the Bible as literature. But the Lord must know you. You must have intimacy with the Lord. And He must call you in that ministry to serve in that capacity because you must understand that Satan is a fisherman too. And many, 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 many have fallen. Many. People go into drug ministries. Uh, drug ministries, but to, 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 to proclaim Christ to people who the downtrodden. People who are on drugs, you know, the, the, the meth heads and the, the crackheads and, you know, the marijuana addicts. And they go and preach the good news. But because Satan is a fisherman and because they're not wise, because they don't have this knowledge. Because they don't test the spirits. They get sucked into those lives. Oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to go minister to the meth people. I'm going to go minister to the opium addicts. I'm going to go minister to the, you know, all these addicts. Okay, is the Lord calling you? Yeah, he's calling me. Well, wait a second. Let's 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 examine fruit. Is the Lord calling you? Yeah, yeah, he's calling me. Okay, wait, wait, okay. Let's look at the fruit. And you know, let's look at the doctrine. You don't even know your Bible. You're not a Berean. You don't know the Bible. Yeah, I know the Bible. You do? Okay. Let's discuss this. Let's have Bible study. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Well, let's read. Let's study. Did you test the spirits? No. Well, come on. Is the Lord calling you? Yeah, He's calling me. You see? Oh, you're so judgmental. The Lord is calling me to go preach, to go teach and, you know, minister to these drug addicts. They go to the, minister to the drug addicts. Within a year, what happens? That person is now a drug addict. That's what happens. Because people use these verses. They say, oh, okay, I'm going to employ these verses. I'm going to use this in my ministry. Well, wait a second. It's not to say the Lord doesn't want to use you, but before He uses you, you have to have intimacy with Him. You must know His Word. You must test the spirits. And, you know, make sure that it's the Lord who's calling you because even Satan presents himself as an angel of light. Very important. He says in verse 22 that I might, that I might by all means save some. Very interesting in verse 22, Paul says that I might... By all means, save some. Because in chapter 7, we see the wives save their husbands. And we see the husbands save their wives. Now, if you're Calvinist or you're into reform theory, oh, God saves. You don't do any saving. God saves. Okay, I get what you're saying. But who does he use? Who does he use? Paul says that he might by all means save some. He's a vessel of the Lord. He's being used of the Lord. He's full of the Holy Spirit. Is it really Paul? Or is it the Lord through Paul? 
You see? That's for my Calvinist friends. I love you, but remember, Calvinism, it's only a theory. Reformed theology, you might call it theology, but it's only a theory. Because a lot of Calvinists today, a lot of the Reformed theory people today, they are the ones who are saying, it's okay to take the mark of the beast, you won't lose your salvation. That's what they say. It's not what the Bible says, but that's what they say. It's very popular. If you're like, whoa, I can't believe that. That's a heavy accusation. When we're done with this study, you scroll. You have to scroll for a while, but listen to a message that says, do not take the mark of the beast. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about, and it will be revealed who is the one proclaiming that, and then you'll understand that those adherents to this particular individual, they're the ones who are following. Those who, you know, in that particular uh, um, sphere of ministry, in accordance with Reformed, not theology, Reformed theory. In verse 23. Now this I do for the gospel's sake. Why, Paul? Why do you do it? Why, what's your motivation? Why do you work? Why do you not sleep? You were teaching all night last night, all into the morning. You wake up in the morning, maybe take a little cat nap. And you're making tents. And you make tents, you make money. And you take this money and you feed this circle that's with you. You help this circle that's with you. Why, Paul? Why do you do it? He says, I do it for the gospel's sake. That I may be partaker of it with you. You see, not to exalt Paul and say, Paul, wow, you're so awesome. Wow, Paul, you're so special. We eat at the same table. The inclusion of the church in Corinth. You see? He says in verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But one receives the prize. You see? One receives the prize. All run in the race. I mean, you look at the starting line of like a, a triathlon. You look at the starting line. And what do you see? It's like a big, massive people at the starting line. The gun goes off and you see this big, massive people. They just move in unison. You might have a couple people that run fast and they break from the, from the herd. But you see this mass of people running. And in the course of time, as the distance spans, you see this big mass of people. It starts to get wider and wider, more sparse, because you have the slow people in the back, the fast people in the front. And depending on how long it is, you have the, the wise people start to move to the front because those who ran fast, they, didn't, they, they don't have the endurance. They used all their energy. The ones who were wise, you know, they tempered themselves. Now they have this storage of energy where they can finish and finish well. All run in a race, but only one received the prize. And Paul says this in verse 24, You guys, church, the field, the building of Christ, run in such a way that you may obtain it, that you may seize the prize. Win is how it translates, that you may win. You see? Now understand that a defensive posture in Christ, it's beautiful. It's good. But never, ever, 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 ever forget the offensive posture in Christ. Holding a shield, beautiful. That's one hand. But we have two hands. 
A lot of Christians hold up their shields. Rightfully so. It's beautiful. The whole time the sword stays sheathed. They never, ever, ever break out their swords. So hold up your shield. Don't forget you have two hands. Now, in this in 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 the flesh, you might have no hands. You might have an amputee, no arms. Spiritually speaking, you hold up your shield. You're gonna get receive a glorified body. Spiritually speaking, hold up your shield. And you have two hands. With your other hand, you have to break out your sword. You have to use your sword. In verse 25, and everyone who competes translates as strives and labors fervently and fights. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, temperate, which is to exercise self-control, is temperate in all things. Now they do it, these people in this example that he's giving, these runners of the race or competing for the prize, they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we, the saints, the church, Christians, uh, people of the way, the remnant, but we for an imperishable crown. You see, don't forget that self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's Galatians 5. Now this is Paul. Paul, a worker. In the field, but in the capacity of a worker. Verse 26. Therefore, I run thus. This is the manner in which I run. I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus, I fight not as anyone who beats the air. I love this verse so much. Verse 26. If you're in ministry, highlight verse 26. If you teach the Bible, you're an elder, you're a deacon, you're whatever. Youth leader. Highlight verse 26. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Paul says, you know, in verse 25, he competes, but it's, it, he exercises temperate, temperate in all things. They do it to obtain a perishable, a perishable crown, but we, we for the imperishable crown. Paul says, thus, therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight. And this, the, the fight, it's as a boxer. Remember they, in, in the games that they had, like not the Olympics, but they had like, you know, the games in Corinth, very popular in that they, they had fighting, fight like boxing. It was one of the events in the games that they had. They had running, they had like, you know, distance running, short distance running, you know, who could throw the farthest and, you know, like straight. Then they have fighting too. And that's how it translates. It's thus I fight, but it's as a boxer and to hit with the fist. To hit with the fist. He says, thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air or thrashes the air. Do you know what that means? He makes contact. Contact. You see people like, you know, they like... Uh, you know, hit a bag, you know, and they hit a bag, they punch a bag, and that's nice, you know, it's good, you know, it's good for endurance, it's good for, you know, strength, because you get to your, your bones, your knuckles, just your body acclimated. But in a real fight, in a real fight, you might throw a punch, but whatever opponent, they, they throw punches too, and sometimes they hurt, you see? Understand that 
That's the offensive side of ministry. There's the defensive side of ministry, which is beautiful. But never forget the offensive side. Paul says, this is how I run. This is how I fight. There's contact. So he runs with certainty. And highlight this for anybody in ministry. He runs with certainty. He fights and threshes. But it's with contact. Very intentional. Defense and offense. Hold your shield and don't forget your sword. Defense and offense. Verse 27, he says, But I discipline my body. I discipline my body, which is a requirement. I discipline my body. You see? Now, we all know that, you know, that disciple, you know, it's a a, a derivative of the word discipline to be under a, a certain discipline, academically speaking. But this isn't academics. There is no academic application here. He's speaking of the the flesh, the earth suit. I discipline my body. This is required. This is new wineskin. New wineskin. I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, which is enslavement. This is required. Because you see a lot of people in ministry, they fall. And they fall hard. Because you see a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, Pastors who go to the strip clubs, pastors who do their pornography, you know, all kinds of youth leaders who do their alcohol, they do their drugs, they do their meth, they do all kinds of works of the flesh. You know why? Because they failed in the example of verse 27. No discipline of the body. No subjection of the body. Enslavement of the body. This is required. It's called self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. A fruit of the Spirit to discipline the body and bring it into subjection. Lest one have preached to others, I myself, Paul, Paul, should become disqualified. Wow. Adokimos in the Greek. Adokimos, which is to become reprobate. To become rejected. To become worthless to become unapproved. Wow. You see, Paul himself is counting the cost. He has counted the cost. That's why Brother James in James chapter 3 says, Let not many be teachers. Yes, the love of the Lord is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. But never, ever, ever forget the fear of the Lord. The two work together. God bless you guys. Love you guys.